Good morning, everyone. Welcome, welcome to Noblesville First. We're so excited you're worshiping with us this morning. We're going to kick it off. You guys get palms? Anybody get palms? Have you got palms? I think we're going to... We, we switch things around. We're doing Hosanna. Is that what you have up there, Zach? You got Hosanna first? We're going to do Hosanna first and then just move down through the order from there. We had the kids come and wave palms for us at the 945 service, so we switched some stuff around. But this time, you guys get to be the palm wavers. So why don't you stand... And join us as we sing this worship.
song today. We got lots of new songs around Easter time. I love new songs. Are you guys new song people? Who's not a new song person? There you go. I say that's fine. That's fine. We like our we like our comforts. We got we got both of them, right? Better's one day is from like the 90s. It's one of my old favorite songs. This is a great song about the triumph of our Lord Jesus Christ coming up on Easter. So we're gonna teach you this song. This is a, a modern hymn. So sing along once you catch on. Woke with the key 
invite you to enjoy this stewardship moment. Well, I just want to take a little bit of time to explain to you our Holy Week and Easter schedule. I know some of us are out of the practice of, of regular worship, and so you might be anxious to get back and to celebrate Easter in a great way. So let me just give you a quick rundown on what's happening and just a slight change in our usual schedule on Easter morning. So Holy Week uh, begins as far as our gathering on Monday, Thursday, that Thursday uh, of Holy Week, which we recall the Last Supper of Jesus with the disciples, and also that was the night that he was betrayed. Pastor Matt is putting together the plans for that worship. The band will be providing the music for that experience, and they will gather here in the sanctuary at 7 o'clock on that Thursday. Then Good Friday services. You might want to sign up for our Good Friday vigil so you can come to the church and pray either in the Wickham Chapel or a prayer room. Uh, or you can also do it at home. We'll have an online version of it as well. But we have a sign-up chart that will be up here uh, the next couple weeks for you to sign up. And just for a half an hour time slot, there will be a prayer guide to help you to go through and make the best use of those 30 minutes, praying for various things in our community, in our congregation, and in people's lives. And then Friday night, we have our Good Friday service. Pastor Jill Moffitt is putting plans together with the help of Dr. Jeff Wright in the Chancel Choir. That will also be held here in the sanctuary. As remember, that was the day that Jesus gave his life on the cross. Uh, don't forget our Easter extravaganza. It's going to be out at Teeter on that Saturday before Easter. And they'll gather. Uh, it's from 1030 to noon. Out at the Teeter Farm, there'll be three different fields of eggs for the different age groups so they don't run over each other. And there's going to be lots of activities, uh, uh, bounce houses, uh, blown up activities, and, and games for kids. We need volunteers for that and also lots of candy to pass out. So help out with that on that Saturday out at Teeter. And then Easter morning, of course, is, is the highest holiday of the church here. As we remember, that is the, the day that Jesus was raised from the dead. And we'll have our typical schedule with just a slight change. So we'll gather here as we usually do at 8.30 in the sanctuary with our choir ensemble leading music as well. And we'll also gather again at 9.45 here. And we will have the usual 9.45 contemporary service because we want to also continue our Noblesville Kids programming on that Sunday. We don't always do that on Easter, but this year we're trying to rebuild our children's programming. So we hope that your children or grandchildren that you bring can participate in that downstairs while you're worshiping either in the sanctuary or in Celebration Hall with the contemporary form of worship. And then the one change to that Easter schedule is that we decide that there will be a greater demand for the traditional Easter service with the choir singing. So the 11 o'clock service, instead of being a contemporary service, will be a traditional one, led once again by the choir at 11 o'clock here in the sanctuary as well. And, and don't forget that wonderful tradition we have in which uh, we have the choir singing the Alleluia Chorus. And then we invite you as a congregation to turn and face the resurrection window, that beautiful piece of stained glass that's at the back of our sanctuary to remind ourselves that uh, our faith is a living faith. Christ who gave his life for us, but has been raised from the dead, gives us the hope, the encouragement, the faith that we need to live our lives in the goodness of Christ, who is our Lord and our Savior. which art in heaven allowed to be thy name thy kingdom come thy thy will done in earth as it is in heaven 
forgive us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil for this for thine is the kingdom and the power of glory forever amen When they had come near Jerusalem and had reached Bethpage, the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, just say this, The Lord needs them, and he will send them immediately. This took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Look! Your king is coming to you, humble, mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put their cloaks on them, and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Crowds that went ahead of him that followed were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil, asking, Who is this? The crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Welcome again to Palm Sunday here at Noblesville First. I'm Matt Hantelman, one of the pastors here at Noblesville First, and I'm just glad that you're joining us for worship this morning. I want to make one small um, amendment to the announcements that you heard. The Maundy Thursday service that I'm going to be leading with the band is in here, not down in the sanctuary. So we'd love to have you join us on Thursday evening to talk through the Last Supper more in-depth and, and share in a worship experience. If you'd like to join us for that, we'd love to have you. And a reminder, as you heard, the 11 o'clock service next week on Easter is a traditional service in the sanctuary for the choir and the orchestra. You're definitely welcome to join us at 945 for the contemporary service. Like I said, if you're me, you might do both. It's an incredible experience to experience the choir and orchestra all together singing the Hallelujah Chorus in what I believe is one of the most beautiful old-style sanctuaries left in Hamilton County. So, Today we're going to be wrapping up our Lenten series on the Lord's Prayer with a small doxology or kind of closing praise that likely wasn't included in the original prayer as it existed. It says, For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Now, we could dive into whether this ending belongs in the Lord's Prayer or not here in the book of Matthew during the Sermon on the Mount. But this is one of those situations where perhaps it doesn't really matter. The kingdom is God's. The power is God's. The glory is God's forever. So it's not incorrect to attribute these things to God. 
And the doxology here, I call it a doxology because there are a lot of people, scholars and things, that suggest that this was actually a response to the Lord's Prayer, where somebody would say the Lord's Prayer and then the congregation would respond, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. It was this call and response piece, and it fits. And we find almost this exact sentiment in a song that David writes, King David, in the book of First Chronicles. He says, Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor, for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. So what I would like to talk to you about this morning, then, is how Jesus and God seem to want that kingdom and power and glory to be understood. And we have a wonderful example of that in the story of Palm Sunday. Many of you have likely heard the story of Palm Sunday many times. Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. At the beginning of the Passover feast, the people worship him and they wave their palm branches or their cloaks and they lay them down and they shout, Hosanna. We typically call this in the church the triumphal entry, which is the kickoff to Holy Week that ultimately comes, ends with Easter coming. But That's not really the whole story. In fact, it might not be the correct story at all. And I'd like to kind of dive into kind of the history of what's really happening here on Palm Sunday with you today. I will say that as a pastor, one of the things I've dealt repeatedly with in my career is people saying politics don't belong in church. I heard it a lot two years ago. We had a series on racial reconciliation. And people were asking, well, why are we talking about this? Or this isn't something the church needs to be discussing. There was another time when Thursday Worship held a large discussion about a Christian response to gun violence after the Noblesville school shooting. And we had a record turnout, partially due to people showing up to make sure that I was not going to tell people they shouldn't have guns. And I had them tell me such, that that's why they were there. Because politics don't belong in the church. I think what we've forgotten or lost to time is that Palm Sunday was a bold, outspoken act of protest against an oppressive government. Jesus was political. And he went through the process of carefully planning this event as a way to speak out against Rome. And I think to suggest that Jesus wanted to do this, but wanted for us to simply stay quiet in the face of similar oppression, goes against even the most basic ideas of what would Jesus do? He would protest the oppressive government, as we'll see. So first, some background. The Passover feast. We've all heard little bits and pieces. I want to make sure we're all on the same page here. This is a yearly event in Jerusalem. And every Jewish man within 15 miles of the city had to attend, and many, many more from outside that circle would converge on the city of Jerusalem. It's estimated that Jerusalem went from about 50,000 people normally to over 200,000 people at the time of the Passover feast. It was a huge growth of, of people, the likes of which we only see on race day, I think. That's how that works, right? Any Motor Speedway fans in here? Did you know, here's your fun fact of the day, that the Indianapolis Motor Speedway on the day of the race becomes the 17th most populous city in the United States. 
Seriously, that's, that's how many people show up. It is the single most largest like attended event in the world. So anyway, so it's like that. Just all of a sudden, massive influx of people into the city. The city would be humming with activity, and with all that community and camaraderie, there, could all, there was always the danger that the Jews would decide that they together could accomplish one of their dreams, which was freedom from the oppression of Rome. In those times, if Jesus and after, there was actually even a sect of Judaism called the Zealots, and their main goal was to overcome Roman rule to take freedom back. Some of the most extreme of them became known as the Sicarii, or dagger men, because they would carry daggers under their cloaks at all times to jump at the opportunity to murder someone who was friendly with Rome. Sicarii, fun fact, is the same root word we get Iscariot from, as in Judas Iscariot. And also, not too long from now, on Monday Thursday, we'll have another disciple who has a sword all of a sudden yank it out and slice an ear off of the servant to the high priest. So the zealots are not as far from the history of Jesus as maybe we'd want to think. In this world of unrest that they are in, this large gathering of Jews, the Romans understood that they could not just allow this pressure cooker to exist. So, every year, on the first day of the feast, a Roman demonstration was organized to show the power of Rome. Pontius Pilate, the ruler of the land, would ride in on a grand war horse along with soldiers clad in armor and drummers drumming and horns blowing and flags waving, a huge military parade would come in from the west gate and walk through town. It seemed that the purpose of the parade was to remind the Jews who owned them. It was as if to say, I know you're here to celebrate your liberation from slavery of the Egyptians, that's what Passover is about when they were able to remove, go out of slavery and into the promised land. But don't forget that you're not actually free. And we, Rome, own you. And don't even think about trying to fight back. Pilate would enter through the west gate, as he always did, on his steed as a show of power. And over at the east gate... Something else was happening. Let's look at the story again here in Matthew 21. It says, When they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus gave two disciples a task. He said to them, Go into the village over there. As soon as you enter, you'll find a donkey tied up and a colt with it. Untie them and bring it to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that their master needs them. And he sent them off right away. For the longest time, I read this as this like miraculous story. Like Jesus used his God knowledge to know there'd just be a donkey there. And his like Jedi mind control powers to be like, this is not the donkey you're looking for. Like to let them, like, can you imagine two people walking up and stealing something and just being like, don't worry, the master needs it. Like, oh, okay. Like that's what I assumed was happening for the longest time in this story. But there's a much simpler explanation for how Jesus knew that there would be a donkey and people would allow the disciples to take it. Anyone want to guess? 
find it. Yeah. He knew it would be there because it was part of the story we don't get to read was Jesus planning with the people in that city to have the donkey ready for him. This was a protest that was planned to the last detail. It was carefully scripted what was about to happen. And then it continues in Matthew when it says, The disciples went and did just as Jesus had ordered them. They brought the donkey and the colt and laid their clothes on them, and then he sat on them. A large crowd spread their clothes on the road, and others cut palm branches off trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds in front of him and behind him shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. So while Pilate is leading his military procession on one side of town, a comical scene in comparison is unfolding at the east gate. Jesus, the king of the Jews, was riding on a simple, non-assuming animal. The people were praising and shouting Hosanna, which today is just this nice word of praise that we use in our songs and things. But for these people was a cry of desperation. It literally means, God, save us. And the Jews are crying out for Jesus to liberate them from the oppression of Rome. A lot of modern Protestant theology seems to suggest that Jesus' death by crucifixion was this God-planned, nothing-to-do-with-the-other-people-involved kind of thing. The idea that Jesus came specifically to die, and this was just him following that plan. That seems to be kind of the mainstream theology today. But again, that's not really the whole story here. Upon entering Jerusalem, Jesus was knowingly and glaringly acting out against Rome. He was taunting them with this act of protest. And Jesus was no fool. He knew exactly what he was doing and where it would lead. But knowing that being boldly outspoken against oppression will lead to the powers that be murdering you is not the same thing as walking up to the cross and asking to be nailed to it so you can forgive people. Jesus' death was the pinnacle of injustice. A man who taught love and peace and nonviolence, who understood how leadership was about service and moved to change the foundations of Jewish theology to a God of love and not a God of rules, was murdered to try and keep the status quo. So for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory is a statement of protest against the powers of the world. To say it in a Roman-controlled territory meant death. That would be the punishment for the blasphemous statement you would be making against their god king, Caesar. They believed their king, Caesar, was the son of God. So to say, no, Thine is the kingdom, Jesus. You would be put to death. And it's still a statement of protest today. It is a political statement. It's not a Democrat or a Republican statement, but a reminder and a call to snap out of our allegiance to anything but Jesus. 
whether that be our country or our job or whatever. It is political in the sense that it involves public affairs and how we interact with it. The idea that Jesus wasn't political while he said, I need you to feed the poor and take care of the widows and the orphans and do to the least of these what you would do to me is silly. That's literally what politics is, is how we care for the community we are a part of and how we set up structures that can do that. The Lord's Prayer as a whole is a call to God to be there when we break our allegiance from everything but Jesus. Because over here, we have a government and a thing that provides and everything else. And we say, I'm not going to follow that anymore. I'm going to have allegiance only to God. And so we say, God, being over here is scary. So I'm going to need you to help me with the whole daily bread and the forgiveness and the deliverance from evil part, please. (laughs) Because it's scary over here not being a part of that, but being a part of a kingdom that's not here yet. Which to me, at least, means that the Lord's Prayer and Palm Sunday are both calls for us to look around and realize that complacency and conformity are not only possible, but common within each of us. Our difficult job is to rely on a savior riding on a donkey when Rome is marching in power on the other side of town. So what does that mean for us today? I don't know. (laughs) It means something different for each of us. I can't tell you the answer of what it means for you. I can give you some ideas. It can mean working in our lives to recognize oppression regardless of its source and work to protest or fight against it. It can mean identifying the ways that we ourselves are complicit in those patterns of oppression and work to rid ourselves of those parts of our lives. There are small ways we can do that, and I am full aware that some of these small ways lead to an eye roll from a lot of the congregation, so bear with me. One easy small thing you can do is change your grocery list to not purchase from companies that are complicit in the oppression and child slavery around the world that still exists today. It seems simple. It seems like not a religious decision, what you put on your grocery list, but it is part of recognizing that oppression in the world exists and we should be no part of it. It can mean something even bigger than that. Maybe you need to look at your own career and figure out if that is complicit in the oppression around the world. In Thursday Worship right now, we're studying a book called Faith After Doubt by Brian McLaren, and he breaks down this idea that your brain is ultimately a committee. You've got the survival part of your brain and the relational part of your brain and the thinking part of your brain, and the survival part is not you thinking actively. It's the fight or flight part of your brain, right? You don't think, I should be afraid right now. The adrenaline just kicks in when it needs to, because that part of your brain is subconscious. And that part of your brain has been shown to literally convince the rational part of your brain that things are okay if 
They would, if to have them not be okay would threaten your well-being. It's why people can work for tobacco companies and say, no, it's fine, I'm not hurting anyone. You are. <laughs> like, but that survival part of your brain trumps the reason to say, no, 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 we need this job. If we don't have it, then we have nothing. And so part of it can be recognizing that we need to take a step back and really look at what we are doing to participate in the oppression or harm of other people. Maybe today, now in this moment, it may simply mean that we need to take a step back from your initial reaction to this message, which for many may be negative, I understand. And understanding that I'm not trying to turn you into anything but Jesus and trying to explain the context behind one of Jesus' most subversive acts that has since seemingly been turned into another nice people-worshipped-Jesus story. That's not what Palm Sunday is about. Jesus was a protester. He meticulously planned a display to go directly against the powers that were in his time. He knew what he was doing and where it would ultimately lead him. I often say, if you want to know what it should look like to follow Jesus, just look at what his direct followers did with their lives once Jesus was gone. And you know what most of them did? Acted out in ways that got them crucified. Because to them, that's what it meant to follow Jesus, was to be actively protesting against oppression just like their Savior did. All I'm asking this morning is that you you're, ask yourself what that means for you and how you follow Jesus. What does it mean that Jesus' reaction to a display of power and aggression and oppression was to openly protest? In a world where a lot of the people shouting Hosanna would have hoped that Jesus would have been riding his own war horse and would have risen up an army to take on Rome, Jesus said, no, you've missed the point. You shout Hosanna, but what you mean is go to war, God, for me. And Jesus said, I will save you, but not like that. It was not a show of weakness to ride in on a donkey, but a show of what it meant to be in God's kingdom, where a lack of oppression, a lack of chains, an abundance of love and grace and mercy existed. Our choice then becomes which ruler do we follow? And I hope in the end, and throughout my time on earth, I work harder and harder to consistently choose Jesus because the kingdom is his and the power is his and the glory is his forever. Amen.
comes with a time of silent prayer, followed by a pastoral prayer, and then we'll say the Lord's Prayer together. This is our time to be still, to feel God's presence, and to thank Him for being in our lives. Let's pray together.
Forever. Amen. Go in peace.